Hood by J.M. Bullpit Read by Jack Collard Chapter 1. Ambush The belief that a person is near death has produced incredible stories of superhuman powers. Mothers heaving cars clear of their trapped child, isolated farm workers with severed limbs marching miles to ask help from neighbours, people with shattered bodies hauling themselves free of peril on splintering bones in a last total effort of survival. But what Robbie Ash discovered that night, although strangely he could rarely bring it into focus in his mind later, was a different species of ability. And it was the knife that opened that other self. It was the knife that opened that other life beyond. Yet, as he made his way towards the others in the park that night, all Robbie sensed and thrilled in was that he was walking on the wild side. A tall, middle-aged man walking towards the boys shuffled over to the other side of the street rather than risk brushing past Robbie and his friend. What do you say? yelled Barney Toon across the road. What do you call us? Yeah, you keep walking. The middle-aged man had said nothing, but now he quickened his pace, his brow furious and full of shame. Robbie shook his head at Barney. He wasn't interested in causing trouble. Besides... The man had not crossed the road due to the tiny terrier presence of Barney Toon. Even though there was a chill in the air, Robbie had been determined to wear the t-shirt that showed off his physique to its best. Robbie was already touching six foot, and genetics had been kind to him, gifting him decent looks and developing his body into a lightly muscular frame with a bit of bulk in his limbs and upper torso, where both males and females of his age group were impressed by it. You have your father's build, his grandmother Gwen had told him. But Robbie wouldn't know. He had never met his father. In contrast, 
Barney couldn't stop yapping if his life depended upon it tune seemed to possess an undercooked, immature frame upon which sat an out-of-proportion balloon head so large he might have been a warped reflection in a hubcap. You see that bright star in the south, Blan? That's not a star at all, that's Mars. Couldn't give a crap, Robbie, and it's that kind of weird-ass toss that loses your friends at school. Ever since arriving at the school three months ago, Barney Toon had seemed to adopt Robbie as his new best friend, but the relationship came with frequent rebuking about his weirdness. Normally these guys tell me to get lost, but they obviously like you, Rob. For Anthony and Billy to invite us to the park tonight, that's big, Rob. Why would they even want me to come? I don't hang around with them. They're the school's psychos. I heard they'd even threaten the deputy Ed. Don't ask me. But don't talk about all that Mars crap, okay? They'll end up beating on both of us. Remember, they're head cases, Rob. So why are we going? Do you want to turn up to school on Monday after having refused their invite? They'll probably ask you to intimidate some poor dog walker and knock back a bit of 40% proof. Don't sweat it. Friday night at the park, swigging cheap strong alcohol had been a tradition for the rougher teenage element in the school for at least several months before Robbie had arrived in the area. However, the police were becoming wise to the underage drinking and minor public disturbances, installing a CCTV camera just behind the lamppost. The gang would have to migrate to other spots soon, but for that night at least, the park belonged to them. Robbie Ash had been shunted around from place to place by his mother for most of his life. As a consequence, He'd not really made any reliable friends and usually felt isolated when establishing himself in a new place. The school hard men were hardly his choice of people with whom to hang around. Robbie would have preferred the cautious, wary company of the clever kids, especially as some of the girls were witty, classy and gorgeous, but they had cliques and tended to keep their distance. You notice Gemma is into you, lucky git. Been trying to get inside her knickers for months, but then suddenly you arrive on the scene and it's practically access all areas, Barney babbled on. Of course, I've had her best mate. He hadn't. But you're just weird and shouldn't rate a chance with Gemma. It's not fair. And if my dad had been a little taller... Gemma likes boys with altitude rather than attitude, does she? I could show her part of me with a bit of altitude. After your mother, of course. How did you know my mother was into leprechauns with bowling ball size heads, Blan? That's not what she whispered to me over the pillow. They were approaching Marine Parade Gardens, commonly known as the Park, and Robbie was content for Barney to drone on with his mindless chatter and toothless insults. The Park was a series of formal lawns, fountains, bushes and flower beds crisscrossed with winding concrete paths. Hemmed in and overlooked by balconies festooned with potted plants and twitching curtains, at night, Marine Parade Gardens might have been a particularly indulgent and peaceful prison exercise yard. Beneath a pool of light, from a single lamppost on which was trained the gaze of a CCTV camera, were the group from the school. To an uninitiated or adult eye, the group seemed random, but Robbie could distinguish a distinct hierarchy. There was a general mingling of lower-status kids and playground loons around the edge. Then, 
an inner circle of cooler, edgier adolescents, all of their faces turned towards the two leaders who were sat on the back of the bench beneath the stone shelter. Even the tone of the talk from a distance was threatening, with words broadcast rather than spoken and jeering laughter. When Barney and Robbie were spotted, a hush of expectation descended on the crowd. All Robbie's instincts told him to run. This was not just an invitation, this was an invitation to a specific event, and he feared that he might be somewhere on the billing. The stars around which the rest of the group were orbiting were the lanky, angular Anthony Cairns Nash and Billy Mills, an oblong of brutality who had always been significantly bigger than his peers, as well as a bully since the age of two. Both had reputations and older brothers with form. Billy's father and older brother were both inside serving time for different assaults or bodily harms, which, in itself, carried a certain prestige amongst the impressionable and dumb-witted in school. Ash, come and sit here, Antony commanded. The crowd parted. This was a rare honour, and Barney Toon grasped his newfound status eagerly, sitting himself right next to Antony. The two thugs looked mildly surprised. Was I talking to you? Antony practically spat out the word off. Barney Toon scuttled away and quickly submerged into the outer crowd again. Robbie was treated to a completely different reaction. An arm reached out to grab his shoulder in a rough but not unfriendly way. Billy Mills even stood up to make room for Robbie on the bench. You've caught our attention, Ash, Anthony began. Billy seemed to snort from his position behind the bench. You look pretty handy. Can you handle yourself? I'm not in your league. Hear that, Bill? He's not in our league. But you're strong and fast. Tasty, yeah? Robbie dreaded where this was going. Was he going to be asked to beat up some poor old pensioner who just happened to be passing by? He'd only ever thrown a couple of punches, nothing serious and certainly nothing damaging. I can handle myself in a corner. Bet you can. Bet you can. Come out fist blazing, eh? Well-aimed headbutt, yeah? I've never headbutted anyone. No? Joy in feeling a nose snap under your skull. One of the great pleasures in life, mate. Must try it sometime. Here are the girls. We can get started soon. Robbie was not entirely sure if he had a type when it came to women, but if he did, not one of the girls in front of him was his type. He preferred the shy, intelligent girls because they mirrored his own temperament and hoped one day to navigate his way through adolescence with such a girlfriend at his side, at least for a while. However, Kelly, Anthony's girlfriend, who was walking towards them now, was different from the others. Certainly, she was excessively made up like the rest and smoked, constantly chewed gum and generally tried to make herself look older but it did not sit easily with Kelly and Robbie sensed peer pressure had led her down a path with which she was not entirely comfortable. Robbie could only guess all this because he had walked Kelly home from a party last weekend. He'd not been trying it on with Kelly and nothing had happened between them, 
But her abandonment by Antony for some older female who had snogged half a dozen people that evening already had coincided with Robbie's own decision to leave when the twenty-year-olds showed up with the brandy and the fighting dogs. Watching her walk up the road on her own at some time well past midnight, Robbie thought she looked so vulnerable and crushed that he offered to escort her the four miles back to her house. Over that walk, Kelly had opened up to him about her limited expectations in life. It was as if she did not dare to dream bigger. In his mind's eye, Robbie could see a lifetime of disappointment, possibly abuse ahead of her, all for trying to be popular now. I don't know why I always pick 'em, Robbie. First Dean and now Anthony, she grumbled. You seem like a nice guy, and you're you're good looking. I don't know why. Am I? You know you are. No, I don't, Kelly. I look in the mirror, and I seem to be put together quite well, I guess. But the girls aren't queuing up at my door. I've never had a true girlfriend. Don't tell anyone, but I'm, I'm always astonished if a girl even notices me. Kelly laughed. Where were you four months ago, Robbie? I should have gone out with you instead of. Robbie smiled, but did not know how to reply. I know where he is, Anthony. I know he's with that older slapper. It's not the first time. She shook her head. Oh, Robbie, shall you and I just keep walking and never look back and see where life leads us? Taking his arm as they walked, she babbled on about her narrow dreams and hopes. Robbie noticed several cars pass them by. One even slowed down, but they could not see the people inside, and none of the vehicles stopped. Outside her door had been an embarrassing, confusing, self-conscious moment. Where they both paused and stared at each other, their faces only inches apart. But the thought of death by boyfriend ran like a particularly violent film trailer in Robbie's mind. So he diffused the moment with a quick peck on the cheek. Then he turned his back on Kelly and headed home. That had been six days ago. You mates with Robbie now? Asked Kelly, with something like concern and disappointment in her voice as she approached the stone shelter. Nah, the opposites of mates. Anthony got up from the bench. Billy Mills's hands came down on Robbie's shoulders like heavy gavels, and Billy started to massage Robbie in the way a trainer does for a boxer in his corner between rounds. Robbie couldn't disguise the heaving of his chest now, as the others let out a roar of approval. The night's entertainment was about to start. Robbie was welcome to sit on the throne of kings if he was going to be their next victim. You staring at my woman, Ash? Asked Anthony. There was no attempt to disguise the threat in his voice. You better know she's mine. I was only looking, Robbie replied, rising to his feet. Somehow, an apology would be a sign of weakness. She's fit, attractive. Take it as a compliment. I take it as a bloody insult, you scrot. Anthony began to square up to Robbie. The others began to fall back. Get cosy with her last Saturday, did ya? Do you know who the hell I am? I know who you are. Robbie swallowed down the public humiliation that almost had a taste. He avoided eye contact, dropped his head, and tried to step away, only to collide with the solid oblong of Billy Mills. The bitter taste of humiliation was lost to the outright dread of fear.
Robbie had no saliva. All his body's resources were being readied for the onslaught that was about to come. Robbie would not have admitted it, but he had never actually been in a true fight. Sure, there had been posturing, a few shoves, pushes, headlocks, a punch or two, but never the exchange of blows intended to really damage. Unlike the two people before him now, who went scrapping every weekend, Robbie would always be haunted by the consequences of his actions. Anthony and Billy only considered themselves to have had a good weekend after damaging some poor soul or other. Tonight, it was to be Robbie's turn. He could not stand the fact that the others had formed an arena and some had their phones out ready to record the beating. Many were grinning and nodding. They were going to witness him being beaten up. Wasn't that enough? No way was he going to give them their wish to watch him beg or plead. The first punch caught him on the side of the head. It was harder than anything he'd ever felt before, but he was still standing. He did not try to make a fight of it, but instinctively hunched over, drawing his elbows into his stomach, head bowed, the side of his skull protected by clenched fists. He had no idea who was hitting him, but each blow felt shocking, and his only hope was to ride it out. How long would it take before they got bored? He found himself bowing before them, but he was still upright, still on his feet. Then they stopped, but it was over far too soon. Robbie looked up. Billy had taken out a knife, and away from the gaze of the security camera, Billy handed the weapon to Anthony. Kelly began to scream and launched herself at Anthony, but Billy held her back. Some of the other kids made a run for it, but Robbie knew he wouldn't get far in the state he was in. He knew they were not going to stab him. They would not risk a serious prison sentence for him, but they were probably going to cut him. He could guess that much. And there might be accidents. Buried deep in his mind, he felt gratitude. Firstly, that Kelly was still screaming and pleading with her boyfriend, and secondly, that at the very least, the twitches at the windows might call the police before things got out of hand. Keeping his back to the camera, Anthony swaggered towards Robbie. You thought we'd want to be mates with you, Scrope. You try on with my woman and you expect to be mates? Is that what you thought? Anthony was dipping his head this way and that to seek out Robbie's downturned gaze. It's Friday night, but school's still in and you're here to learn a lesson and we're here to make that handsome face of yours a little less handsome. Some part of Robbie was no longer scared. Something calm, something inexplicable was inflating inside of him. He astonished himself, but as the knife inched towards him, Robbie was weighing up Anthony's weight and reach. Anthony was caressing Robbie's face with the blade, but as he went in to make an incision, Robbie found himself grabbing Anthony's wrist, surprising them both. In a swift, fluid, single movement, Robbie straightened and locked Anthony's arm at full extension, then delivered a forceful jab into Anthony's elbow joint from the outside. There was a disconcerting crack. Something thin, pale, and jagged was protruding through Anthony's arm. After a moment's silence, Anthony began screaming as he witnessed his own bones sticking out through the flesh. Even through the pain, Anthony tried to reach the knife with his other good hand. 
In all honesty, not even Robbie knew what he was doing now. His actions felt pre-programmed, automatic, and he was astonished to find himself lunging forward at his adversary. Grabbing the badly damaged arm by the wrist and the top of the shoulder, Robbie swung Anthony around in a pivot, driving his face into the brick wall of the sheltered seating. Anthony's body went limp, and he slid down the brickwork, twitching slightly. Even Robbie was horrified at what he'd just done. He was still trying to grasp how he had managed to respond to the threat of the knife. Part of Robbie wanted to scream, Where have these moves come from? He'd never really learned a martial art to any degree of proficiency or any sort of self-defence. Yet, it was as if his own muscles were remembering moves they had rehearsed a hundred times before. There was total silence. The other friends now stared at Robbie with alarm. On some unspoken signal, most of them simultaneously began pelting away, Barney Toon amongst them. Although Billy Mills was gawping with astonishment, he had the presence of mind to let go of Kelly and advance on his adversary. Robbie gracefully and expertly nodded and bobbed his head out of the way of each punch, partly wondering why his feet refused to move or help in the fight. As Billy launched a huge punch at his opponent's face, Robbie drew back his head, the fist missing him by centimetres. Then he stepped forward and drove his own forehead into Billy's nose, sending the bigger boy sprawling onto the floor. There was no exultation in Robbie, just shock. He had just headbutted someone. How had he defeated the school head cases? He was winning the fight at the moment, but having his body act reflexively to moves his mind had no conscious knowledge of was equal to entrusting his life to a machine over which he had no control. Only a few of the group remained now, but they gazed at Robbie anew. Disgust was in Kelly's eyes. She was being dragged away by her friends and was shaking her head even as the tears came. You're just like the rest of them. You blokes are all the same. Billy was still in a ridiculous seated position, like a toddler, who was bum-flopped into a sandpit, blood oozing out of his mouth and nose. You're dead, he said, sounding faintly ridiculous through a mouth full of blood and snot. Then he picked himself up and staggered away, still determined not to run, as if running might be seen as a weakness. They had all abandoned Antony. The security camera was making little motorised adjustments as Robbie paced back and forth. Up in the flats, he could see people on balconies, others on phones, and the light from the lamppost was spotlighting him wonderfully. The other kids might flee, but Robbie would not leave Anthony alone. Pulling Anthony into a remembered recovery position, Robbie removed the blood and gore from the boy's mouth to clear his airway and tried to adjust the shattered arm into a more comfortable position. Even then, Anthony sounded as if he was snoring. Then, Robbie waited for the distant sirens to arrive. No one came to offer assistance. Robbie could not help wondering, but if he had been stabbed, would everyone else have fled and left him for the police to clear up? He seemed to sit calmly, occasionally checking to see if there was any change in Anthony's condition. Please let him live. Please don't let him have any permanent damage, Robbie prayed to the starlit sky, to whatever might be listening.
torchlights were slicing up the night a little distance away. As Robbie tried to focus on how he had fought the boys, he found that, bizarrely, those very thoughts faded. It was as if the whole incident had happened to someone else. He had no idea how he had shown such intimidating force against such seasoned scrappers like Anthony and Billy. By the time the police arrived, Robbie looked like a teenager in trauma. He explained who he was and who Anthony was, although the police knew Anthony all too well already. As the police led him away, the bruises the boys had given him ached badly, but there was a chill inside Robbie that had little to do with him just wearing jeans and a t-shirt.